What is the Bible? There are lots of different answers to that question. We've seen in past episodes that the Bible is not just one book, but 66 separate books written over a period of about 1,500 years, all bound together into one book. And yet, while that's important, it still doesn't tell us a whole lot about what the Bible really is. What is the Bible about? What's it trying to achieve? What is its character? Over the last few episodes, we've been dealing with some of the introductory issues of the Bible. Where did the Bible come from? Who wrote it? And is it reliable? But in the next few episodes, we'll be looking much more at the content of the Bible. And we're beginning in this episode by looking at what the Bible says about what the Bible is. Hi, my name's Carl Denick. I'm a pastor, theologian, writer, and Bible college lecturer. Welcome to Thinking Theology, a podcast where we think about theology, the Bible, and the Christian life, not just for the sake of it, but so we can love God more with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is the Bible? Perhaps one of the most helpful summaries that I've come across is the summary from the Australian theologian and pastor Peter Adam that the Bible is God's words written for his people by his spirit about his son. That's a helpful description because it gets right to the heart of what the Bible is and it does so in a way that connects the Father, Son and Spirit in their one purpose though also recognising that they contribute to that one purpose in different ways and it also connects God to us as his people. So first of all, the Bible is God's words. From the very beginning of the Bible, the God who introduces us to himself is a God who speaks. In Genesis 1, we discover that God spoke the world into existence. In Genesis 2 and 3, God speaks to Adam and Eve, first in love and companionship, and then in discipline and justice when they reject God. In Genesis 12, God speaks to Abraham and makes a promise to bless the world through one of his descendants. In Exodus 3, God speaks to Moses from a burning bush. In Exodus 19 and 20, God speaks to his people from Mount Sinai when he gives them the Ten Commandments. Time after time, God too speaks through the prophets, saying, Thus says the Lord. So over and over again in the Bible, we see that God is a speaking God. That's actually quite profound because unless God speaks to us, we wouldn't know him really at all. Isaiah 55 speaks about that truth. It begins with a wonderful invitation to come to know God. It's an invitation to those who are spiritually thirsty and hungry. But the spiritual hunger and thirst is quenched, strangely enough, by listening to God's words. So verse 2 says, Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. But there's a problem. Verse 8. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways and God's thoughts are utterly beyond us. They're unreachable. But if God's ways and thoughts are beyond us, then how can we ever know them? The answer to that is that God speaks them to us. So verse 10 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. 
In their little book, God Speaks, Rich Aldrich and Ash Carter liken our situation to waking up in a locked room with no windows and doors. You can't remember anything from before and you start to ask questions like, who am I? How did I get here? How should I live in this room? You might invent science and philosophy and things like that from within the room, but unless someone speaks from outside the room to you, you can't ever know the answer to those deepest questions. But Isaiah says that God has spoken to us. He has revealed by his words his thoughts that were so far beyond us. They've come down like rain and snow to water the earth, to give us knowledge of who God is. The reformer John Calvin wrote that, For who even of slight intelligence does not understand that, as nurses commonly do with infants, God is wont in a measure to lisp in speaking to us. Thus, such forms of speaking do not so much express clearly what God is like as accommodate the knowledge of him to our slight capacity. That is, God is so kind that he speaks to us like a nursing mother speaks to a baby. He speaks to us in a way that we can understand him. Or again, Calvin says, it is most stupid not to honour the word of God because He has lowered himself to the level of our ignorance. When we find God prattling to us in the Bible in an uncultivated and vulgar style, let us remember that he does it for our sake. Without the Bible and without God speaking to us through the Bible, we wouldn't and couldn't know God. But in the Bible, God speaks to us so that we can understand. So the Bible is God's words, but the Bible is also God's words written for his people. That is, in the first place, the Bible is God's written words. Lots of people want audible words direct from God, but those are not the kinds of words that God has chosen to give us. He has chosen instead to give us written words in the Bible. Jesus constantly calls the Bible the Word of God. A good example of that comes in John chapter 10, verse 35, where Jesus says he called them gods to whom the Word of God came, and Scripture cannot be set aside. What's helpful about that verse is that Jesus equates both the Word of God and Scripture. Scripture literally means writings. So the Word of God that came straight to Moses and Elijah and the prophets is the Word of God, but those things were written down in the Bible. We don't have access to the original audible words of God in a recording or something like that, but God has given us access to those words written down. And those words were also written down for us, not just for the original readers, but for us. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, Paul has just been recounting some aspects of the history of Israel, and then he says in verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. Notice that the events didn't just happen to them, but those events were written down and God's words about those events, God's explanations of those events were written down as well, and they were written down for us. Similarly, in Romans 15 verses 1 to 4, Paul writes, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but... As it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Paul is making a point there about how we should live, 
And then to back that up, he quotes from a part of the Old Testament that has been fulfilled in Jesus. Those are the words, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. But then he says that all those things were written to teach us so that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. God wrote down his words for us so that we might have them and know them and through them know him. That's even more true of the New Testament than it is of the Old Testament scriptures to which Paul was referring in that part of Romans. For example, the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Christians often talk about witnessing to Jesus, but we aren't witnesses in the proper sense of Jesus. A witness is someone who has seen events firsthand. John and the others saw Jesus. They touched Jesus, heard Jesus speak. And they proclaimed what they saw and what they touched and what they heard. They testified to it, or literally, they witnessed to it. And what's more, they wrote it down for us so that we might know that truth as well. The witness of the apostles was not, let me tell you how God has changed my life. It was the first-hand account of how God has acted uniquely in the person of Jesus Christ, his son, who died and rose to life in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures. So often people want a new word, a new message, a new revelation, a new event or a new sign. They want a personal message straight to them that nobody else has. But God has given us his message and he has written it down in the Bible, not only for those in the past, but for us. In the Bible, God speaks to each of us personally. The Bible is God's words written for his people, but those words have been written for us by the Holy Spirit. One of the great texts that speaks about that is 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17. That says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says that the Holy Scriptures are God-breathed. In the Bible, the breath of God is the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the words of God breathed out by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter 1 verse 21, for prophecy had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Another great illustration of the same idea can be found in Acts 4 verse 25. There believers who are praying together say to God, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the prophets plot in vain? Those words, why do the nations rage, are a quote from Psalm 2. So the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David and Those words have been written down for us for our encouragement and hope in Psalm 2. 
But the basic point is that Psalm 2 is both the product of David and the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the work of the Holy Spirit speaking through particular people. There are lots of different ways that the Spirit did that, breathed out God's words in the Bible. For example, the Ten Commandments were written down by God himself on stone tablets. Or God appeared to people in various visions and dreams, like in the last chapters of the book of Daniel. God dictated some words to people directly. Through the prophets, we have examples of direct quotes from God. They're often prefaced by, thus says the Lord. At other times, God worked through the thoughts and writing of ordinary people like Paul and the Apostle Peter. The books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles are books of carefully researched history that sometimes make reference to other historical books that have been used in their compilation. So too, we've seen in previous episodes that Luke says in the first chapter of his gospel that it's the result of meticulous research. John's gospel is his personal testimony about the life of Jesus that he witnessed firsthand. Paul's writings were personal letters sent to churches and to friends. But in every case, the words that were written and the words that were recorded were breathed out by God such that what was written was exactly what God intended to be written. That means that the words that we have in the Bible are reliable words. They're trustworthy. We've seen in previous episodes too that there are good reasons to believe in the trustworthiness of the Bible. We have evidence from lots of manuscripts confirming that the words we have are the words that were written. And we have the evidence from history that the Bible writers were reliable writers. But the most fundamental reason for trusting the scriptures is that they were written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is God's words written for his people by his spirit. But what are those words about? If you asked most people on the street what the Bible is about, they'd probably say that it was a list of rules or something like that, a list of things to do to make God happy. But the Bible isn't just a list of rules. The Bible is really about Jesus. That point is made profoundly when the Apostle John calls Jesus the Word of God in John chapter 1. The Bible is God's Word, but so is Jesus. And saying that Jesus is the Word of God is really just a way of saying that everything that God has spoken is about Jesus and is fulfilled in Jesus. The Bible introduces Jesus to us and Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus says something similar to his disciples after his resurrection at the end of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, verses 25 to 27. There Jesus says, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then Jesus says in verse 44 of Luke 24, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. How is the Bible then about Jesus? Well, the Bible is about Jesus because its prophecies are about Jesus and its promises are about Jesus. God promised Eve that one of her descendants would crush Satan's head. Jesus has done that. Isaiah prophesied that a virgin would conceive and bear a son who would be named Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And that was fulfilled when the Virgin Mary gave birth to Jesus Christ, God come in the flesh. The Old Testament rituals and sacrifices were about Jesus, and they find their fulfillment in Jesus. 
Jesus is the Passover lamb who turns away the wrath of God coming on the world. Jesus is the sacrifice of the day of atonement who makes a way for God to live among his people. The lives of significant people in the Old Testament too foreshadowed Jesus. Moses said that God would raise up a prophet like him who would speak God's words. Moses spoke God's words because God was speaking to Moses, who then conveyed them to us, but Jesus speaks God's words because he is God. The kings of the Old Testament foreshadowed Jesus' kingship. They ruled over God's people, but Jesus rules over the whole world. The high priesthood in the Old Testament foreshadowed Jesus, who now stands between us and God, pleading for us. And on and on it goes with lots of things that are promised and prophesied about Jesus that are fulfilled in Jesus. To say that the Bible is about Jesus is not to say that the Bible is only about Jesus. The Bible introduces us to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The Bible explains the world to us. It explains sin. It explains to us the wisdom of God. But to know those things without knowing Jesus is to miss the point of the Bible. To know the Bible but to not know how Jesus saves us is to miss the point of the Bible. To know the Bible but to not know the benefit of Jesus' life and death and resurrection is to miss the point of the Bible. To know the Bible but to not know how all God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus is, again, to miss the point of the Bible. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says to the Pharisees, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. To know the Bible without knowing Jesus is to miss the point of the Bible. The Bible is so important then because in it we meet Jesus. And unless we meet Jesus, we can't know God. We might catch a glimpse of God, but we can't be forgiven and redeemed and restored and recreated unless we meet Jesus, the living Jesus, in its pages. But not only do we meet Jesus in the pages of the Bible, but we need to keep reading the Bible so that we remember him rightly. That is, if we don't continue to use the Bible, then the Jesus that we remember becomes the Jesus of our own imagination. It's not so much that we forget Jesus, but that we misremember him. James Smart, in his book, The Strange Silence of the Bible in the Church, writes, Without the Bible, the remembered Christ becomes the imagined Christ, a Christ-shaped by the religiosity and the unconscious desires of his worshippers. Or, to quote Peter Adam, the imagined Christ, the Christ we make up out of our own minds, is shaped not only by our religiosity and our unconscious desires, but also by our secularity and our fears and our imagination and our lack of imagination. That is, in a church where the Bible is not preached and studied and read and believed, The Jesus we believe in ceases to be the Jesus who is actually there, and instead he becomes the Jesus of our imagination. Without the Bible, we will either not know Jesus or we will end up misremembering him. What is the Bible? Well, the Bible is the words of God written for his people by his spirit about his son Jesus. In the Bible, we come to know the living and true God by coming to know the message from the spirit about God's Son, Jesus Christ. If you want to think more deeply about that topic, I highly recommend Peter Adams' book, Written for Us. You'll find a link to that in the description. But that's it for this episode. Next time on Thinking Theology, we'll be thinking about the authority of the Bible. Please join me then.